one does not know to which port one is sailing, no wind is favourable. So said Stoic philosopher Lucius Annaeus Seneca. And certainly, if we all knew what we wanted to be, we'd all either be there by now, or at least we'd be well on our way there. When we were kids, it was easy to get excited about being an astronaut, or a movie star, or a scientist, or a lumberjack. But for many of us, with growing up came a dulling of these lofty ambitions, until, rather than a seat on a rocket ship, most of us end up settling for a comfy chair on a widescreen TV to take the edge off another hard day at the office. Zadie Smith seemed to capture it well when she observed, what modest dreamers we've become. This is Conversations on Living, a podcast about being, doing and living well. I'm Chris Brock, I'm 45, and I still have no idea what I want to be when I grow up. And perhaps that's the problem. We focus so much on the being, the end result, that all too often we lose sight of the doing. It is the doing, the action, that leads to the being after all. And we've all heard the saying, fall in love with the process, but we rarely stop to think what the process actually looks like. The idea of being a brain surgeon, highly revered, wandering around fancy hospitals in a nice clean white coat sounds fantastic, but for most of us, the years of studying, prodding and dissecting brains, learning the phrases and the stress of the daily job just don't seem so palatable. The idea of being a Hollywood actor sounds fantastic, but the years of working in restaurants to make ends meet, desperate to be chosen by casting agents, only then to have to spend weeks and months learning lines and waiting around all day in dusty studios, might not seem so glamorous. So, as I discuss in this week's podcast, maybe the quest of being a fulfilled and happy human is not about seeking the thing we want to be, but instead the thing we want to do. The action, the things that light us up, that float our boat, that is most definitely our cup of tea. This week I'm chatting with Nick Childs. Nick is the co-founder of DIRT, an agency that uses neuroscience and big data to enable creators to gauge the impact of their work upon their audiences. I approached Nick after I saw a video he created during lockdown, part of an initiative called Isolated Talks, where he talked about knowing what you want, choosing a life plan, facing up to life and its challenges, and going into the day with courage. And these are some of the themes that we discuss in today's conversation. You can find out more about Nick by following him on Twitter, where he is at Nick Childs, and Dirt can be found at www.wearedirt.com. I'll share these links, as well as a link to his Isolate TED talk in the show notes at conversationsonliving.com. Before we get started, I just want to have a quick shout out to the guys at Headliner. Headliner is the service that I use to make audiograms. So audiograms are those social media sized videos and graphics that contain clips of the show, often with subtitles or a waveform animation that goes along with them. They're a great way to market the podcast and I certainly use them uh, to market every episode that I make. And uh, Headliner is one of the easiest and most powerful ways to to make them. So if you host a podcast, definitely worth checking out at www.headliner.app. And also a word about Plane. That's P-L-A-Y-N-E. It's a video game created by one of our guests, uh, Chris Shrikumar. He's been a guest on the show a couple of times. And um, in the game, you are challenged to grow a beautiful island using the power of mindfulness. Uh, you can experience deep relaxation and learn straightforward meditations by playing. Um, and this can really help you care for your mental well-being or just become more present. Um, I've never seen anything like it. And if you want to give meditation a go but don't know where to start, and if video games are also your thing, then it might be just what you need. So check it out at 
www.plane.co and again that's p-l-a-y-n-e.co and finally just a quick request from me to rate review and subscribe to this podcast and also to tell the world tell everyone you meet it's christmas so tell father christmas tell his elves uh, tell your granny your granddad your cat your dog your mum your dad your sisters and brothers get them to tell their friends because it all helps to increase the exposure of this podcast and get us out there to more and more people which is really valuable in terms of attracting uh, interesting guests and um, you know just making it worthwhile all the effort you know i've got a team of um, highly skilled engineers behind me all twiddling knobs and pulling levers to make it to make it all work and go out there so you know really really get behind us and uh, subscribe um and uh, yeah and also if you want to hear any other episodes you can uh, check out uh, everything at conversationsonliving.com and there you'll find all the episodes of the podcast and also some writing essays and some guided meditations things like that and you can sign up for our 21 day gratitude challenge which is a great way to bring gratitude into your life and shift your perspective so that you are more focused on what's going right for you rather than what's going wrong and uh, you can sign up for my newsletter which i send out very very rarely these days but in 2022 uh, we're going to work on that and it's going to become a much more regular thing so sign up and then um, if you do you'll get a lovely free treat to download as well and don't forget you can also continue the conversation in our facebook group just search for conversations on living and uh, and that's about it so uh, it's time to get into that conversation with nick childs and please do hang around at the end because i've got a little extra message for you uh, so listen all the way through and um, stay tuned because there's something i want to tell you at the end nick hello thank you for um coming on my podcast uh you are the co-founder of Dirt, which is very interesting. It's a. I'm just reading this from what I've cribbed from your LinkedIn profile. It's a consumer insights research platform that uses neuroscience principles to measure human emotion and revolutionise the bond between creators and audiences, which is absolutely fascinating. But there's there's a lot more to you. You got you'll start writing in film, and uh, you wrote for the Super Bowl spots. You've written for award-winning movies. And it sounds like you've done everything in between from digital campaigns, experiential projects, creative communications, all kinds of media and marketing projects, um, which is fascinating. And probably there's about 10 podcasts in there um, in itself. <laughs> but the real the thing that I wanted to talk to you about, and this is why I kind of reached out to you, is because I saw a talk you did. So there were these, um, they're like TED Talks, uh, isolated talks, um, which is a kind of nice play on words that were kind of set up through a lockdown, I guess. And you did a video called Facing Things. And there were some themes in there that really resonated with me. And because my whole life, I've pretty much always been asking myself, and I've never been able to find an answer. It's been, what am I supposed to do with my life? And I I just remember at many, many stages in my life, I've had this question in my head. And it's one of the reasons I, I started doing this podcast. What am I supposed to do with my life? And, you know, how am I supposed to get ahead and all that kind of stuff? And you touched on some very key points, which I think were, uh, you've got to know what you want, which I think is fundamental. And I think that's a big existential crisis that many people have because we don't know what we want. Uh, you talked about choosing your own life plan. Otherwise, you'll, you'll end up working towards someone else's life plan, which, which really resonated with me because there's a Jim Rohn quote, which is, uh, if you don't design your own life plan, chances are you'll fall into someone else's plan. And guess what they have planned for you? Not much. Um, 
And then there's there's some other topics in there about courage and, and things like that, going into the day with courage, facing up to life and its challenges. I've I've already been talking for far too far too long. Um so then maybe let's start with um knowing what you want. Uh, where did this why is this important to you and how has it been a, a kind of key factor in your life, I guess? Let me back up and thank you for inviting me on. Um, when I got your note. Um, it was really kind what you had said about that isolated talk that Giles had invited me to do. Um, you're giving me far too much credit uh, <laughs> for seeming to have thought through the intent of that video and that talk. Um, what it probably stems from more than anything is that I write down notes of things I find interesting over the years and 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 I tend to try and put them together and make sense of them. And that speaks to the bigger picture picture of designing my own path in life, which is, uh, I may have talked about that a lot, but I don't feel as if I did it at all. I feel, if anything, um, that I followed a very circuitous route to where I am now, and that it was probably in the dark hours of the morning, it feels very random, and that I didn't pick the right path sometimes. And But of what I've learned over time, for myself at least, is that what resonates for me is that it is all part of life's path. Um, one of the quotes that I brought up in that talk and really resonates for me and it's kind of a life mantra is amor fati, which means love your fate. And for me, what that means, a stoic phrase is that it's all going to come at you and it's all going to be what it is. And your resilience and your ability to deal with life as it comes is probably the most important thing wrapped around that, my ability to try and put myself on a path that feels right is critically important. I, I love that Jim Rohn quote, and I had intentionally not looked it up and wanted to hear you say it to me, um, that design your own life or somebody else will, and they probably won't do it well. It speaks to having agency in your own life. And I think that's good and bad, agency in that you're going to have intent and try to get somewhere in a very targeted way, but also that you bear responsibility when it goes off the rails and it doesn't become exactly what you want. Um, at the start of all of this, I should probably admit something and um, that I kind of cheat. And I like podcasts because it allows me to cheat a bit on these chats that I, I write down these quotes and ideas and I'm terrible at memorizing them. And then I copy in my phone and write them in a notebook. And then I fill each notebook with scraps of things that I find interesting over the years. And I go back and I reread them. Um, and I try to put those pieces together and have them resonate in my life. And I find that those those quotes and those ideas, I can connect in different ways. And that's like my own career path. I find that I'm able to tell a story to myself, at least, of how it made sense as I've now gone through it. Um, but the good thing is that I'll come up with some quotes, I'm sure, as we're talking over the next minutes, that will seem like I'm brilliant and they're off the tip of my tongue, but they won't be. I'll be able to read them out um, on the side here. And I think that's important. I think metaphorically, it speaks to the preparation that I think is important for me in my life is being curious and being engaged and writing those quotes down and having them at hand. I wish I could be one of those people that could throw off a pithy Shakespeare quote. Actually, I'd probably be terribly boring at parties if I did that. People would think I'm incredibly pompous, but there's this idea that you can come up with ideas and have it perfect in the moment. But that matters less to me than having them somewhere at hand where you can take the time to see how the puzzle pieces fit together. And that's a very long-winded way of saying what's been important to me 
and, and resonates more and more as the years go on is that I try to have a path, but I'm less and less concerned that the path has to be exactly right. And so maybe what I'm saying is there are multiple paths and that you should get up and get out and get moving and be focused, but it's okay to be thrown off wind and to find yourself heading somewhere that felt like the wrong direction, but might end up being a more interesting part of your journey. I think the thing I've been thinking about since we first talked about um, connecting a lot and this idea of paths has been maybe the thing that resonates most for me is the pressure of speed in today's world, um, that the winds that are going to blow you on this path or blow you off it have to be full and behind your sails and you have to get there quickly. I think that's a really dangerous place for me at least to go. Uh, I'm much more interested now in being open to dealing with where life takes me. Again, it, knowing that I have to have some intent. If I don't have any intent, if I don't try to think about where I want to go, it's pretty disingenuous for me to wake up one morning and be angry that I haven't gotten there. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, but I mean, there's the, there is a kind of within us, this notion that we're all somehow, if, if things aren't going swimmingly, it's, we're all victims of an unjust world. You know, it's, it's like we go to school and everything's laid out for us, you know, it's get a good education. Uh, then you go to college and, you know, you get your master's degree and everything is, everything is pretty much laid out in a step-by-step process. So when things don't work out, or you do find yourself like, like, um, like us at, uh, I don't know about you, you look like you're in your twenties, but me in my forties, you know, things haven't exactly gone far beyond your years. Thank you. But things haven't gone to plan necessarily. We kind of think, well, either where did I go wrong and how unfair that life has treated me this way, or what's wrong with the world that, like, you know, I've done everything right and poor me. Uh, this is so unfair that, um, you know, things haven't, uh, you know, my hand hasn't been dealt to me very well and the world is unjust, you know. Um, and there, there is no agency almost. It's, it's almost like there's this, this kind of 12 step program of how life is supposed to be. And when it doesn't quite work out, we're, we find ourselves lost. And then, I don't know, maybe falling prey to uh, other people's plans. This is, you know, perhaps, I don't know. I don't know. It, it's a, I, I, for some reason, I keep thinking of Ed Sheeran, the musician, and he always seemed to have, people were talking about him in his early career, and he, he set out this route map that was going to make him one of the most successful recording artists in, in history. And it had, so far, it has essentially worked out pretty much as he predicted all those years ago. As you guys would say, good on you. It's been, it's been yeah, pretty and good. I'm, and I'm kind of thinking, how did, how did he do that? You know, and is, is that normal? Is that kind of, you know, did I miss a day at school where they told us how we were supposed to do that kind of thing? It's a great question. And it's such a wonderful place to examine, not just kind of hypothetically for the Ed Sheerans and should I be on that path, but much more for me, selfishly, I take it to like, okay, but I didn't do that. So what does that mean? Does that mean I've been a failure? I, I tend to give myself, um, what's the word, uh, make myself feel better by saying, okay, but I didn't do that, right? So in early days, if I look back and um, I'd wanted to be a writer or I'd wanted to be a clothing designer or I'd wanted to be a filmmaker. We all have those dreams that, okay, what's that path that's gonna make me that, the most successful filmmaker or whatever might be the goal. 
and then it doesn't happen. I, I remember in must have been I think 1991 watching the Oscars, and I was at a bar in New York, and I saw Kevin Costner. I think this is the right timing. Win Best Director, maybe Best Actor, Best Screenplay for Dances with Wolves, which has not resonated with me over the 30 years since as the movie that's the top of it. But I remember thinking you know, in my early 20s, that's going to be me someday. I'm going to win an Academy Award. And that wasn't a real goal for me because I, after that, I didn't do anything to set myself on the path towards achieving that. So it feels very wonderful to go back and say, I had that goal. I think the Ed Sheerans, the people that potentially achieve those things have, have a much clearer focus of what they want. And I have no idea of what he did to, to get there. I'm assuming it was very single-minded and very purposefully driven. And I tend to now at my much older age, look at, I didn't do those things. And I'm okay with that. I've, I've told this story before to people where I think a few years ago, I would wake up at three in the morning in those hours in the morning when they're the darkest, because you wake up and you panic about all the things you haven't done in life and you feel the future and your mortality pressing in. And then you wake back up at 7am if you fall back asleep and you're like, what was I worried about? But in those hours as a writer, I would, and somebody went to writing school and intended to write books and then never did. That's the key of this. I never did the writing. I would wake up at three in the morning and be mad at myself for the awards that I hadn't won for the books that I never wrote. And I would kind of, after doing that a few times, I would laugh at myself and be like, you, you never even did the terrible drafts that it takes that allow you to get to the point where somebody might then theoretically publish a book that might then theoretically be decent and people might like it. And in a world where honestly, I'm experienced now enough to understand how little the awards ultimately matter, but I had done nothing to set up any of that success. So to alas, poor me and feel bad about anything I've done on the way, I'm much more present now in my own agency, as you said, of okay, you can get mad at yourself for not doing the things that you actually set out to do, but you should probably stop getting mad at yourself for or beating yourself up about the things that you never even took steps towards achieving. And I guess that goes back to trying to put ourselves on that path, or as that great Seneca quote that you steered my way of, uh, if one doesn't know which port one's sailing to, no wind is favorable. I I, I, I really like that quote. And again, I I I'm a quasi-Stoic. I love the principles of Stoicism. I read Seneca and and try to try to take a lot of this to heart. And I and I think the sooner you start understanding that Seneca quote that you need to know what port you're sailing to, uh, the sooner you understand it, the better. But the thing for me, as I said before, there are a lot of different ports, and I think we have to be really careful. Again, for me at least, about chasing one specific goal, targeting one specific port, because not only what happens if you never get there, but also as importantly, what happens if you do? And what happens if you get there early in your career? There's this great quote I had um, written down from Buzz Aldrin, who was the second person to walk on the moon, to walk on the moon. And he referred to coming back and the melancholy of all things done. And I love that phrase, the melancholy of all things done. But what he said was that going to the moon wasn't hard. Returning to earth was the challenging part. 
And man, if that's not a metaphor for having your dreams fulfilled and not knowing what to do next, I don't know what is. So kind of on both sides of it, I think we have to define what those ports are for us, but also be totally, totally malleable that the seas and the winds and the whatever else might shift and that you better be prepared for that and look for the mountains beyond the mountains. Yeah, so it's fascinating because, I mean, we've heard a lot about uh, astronauts coming back from the moon or from space and falling into deep depressions, you know, and, uh, you know, nothing really ever tops that. And also, but also this notion of like, you know, I want to do this, but then when we actually, but I want to be a writer. But then when we're faced with the, the actual work involved that is deeply uninteresting, if, it's not, if that's not your cup of tea, I mean, how, how do we even know what we really, really want? How do we choose something where the process is going to float our boat as much as that end goal? Because ultimately, uh, that's, the, that's the work we're going to have to do is, the, is that process. That's it. That's it. I way over talked it and you nailed it in one sentence. You have to love the process. You have to love the doing. You have to love the digging in the dirt. You have to love the getting muddy. muddy. The What I've learned from everybody who's successful and everybody who's not and all of life in between is that the, the rewards and the accolades and all those things only come if you do the work. And you've put it so nicely, like I, coming out of writing school, I would ask myself this and I would then if I were talking to anybody who was looking at going to film school or writing school or any of those artistic endeavors, I would ask them this question kind of coming out of the conversation. What you'll learn is, you don't even have to answer it right now. Do you want to be a writer or do you want to write? And I think that's the difference for me was I really, really, really wanted to be a writer. And I really loved putting in the work to being a writer when I was in college and in graduate school and getting my degree in writing. And I still love writing to this day, but I didn't put in the work to become, uh, in my case, a fiction writer. I didn't do it. I, when I was graduating from uh, writing school, which is, you know, like, I, I don't know if you guys have writing programs over there, but it's an yeah. art school or thinking you're getting your master's of fine arts. I was lucky enough to study with a wonderful writer um, named E.L. Doctorow. And I did my second year thesis with him the timing was right and i got selected to put together a collection of short stories and he graded them i mean there was no real grading it was kind of if you did the stories you passed and did fine but i remember sitting in his office as he was you know ushering me out into the world <laughs> metaphorically and saying so okay what's next and he said you're right it's kind of not to demean any specific job but being um, a, 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 a plumber or being uh, somebody in advertising, you've got to go do the practice now and everything else will or won't fall out of that. So again, I think you said it really simply and cleanly. You have to, you have to love the, the messy muddle of the work and every successful filmmaker, author, any career has been, yeah, you're in there X hours of the week 95% of them, 99%, almost 100% of them, nobody ever sees. If that little glimpse of the accolades, that's, that's, just, um, that's just the luck of what comes out of it. But you can't play, plan for that at all. Yeah, I think that's a, I mean, you've, you've kind of touched on something that I think is a fundamental problem that we have as, as human beings, and especially when we're young. And, you know, when you were watching Kevin Costner receiving his Oscar for, uh, 
Dances with Wolves, which is a, a deeply moving film. I remember going to the cinema to watch that as well. Um, but, you know, you, you were there saying, I want to win an Oscar one day. I want to win an Oscar one day. I want to be an Oscar winner. And that's the thing is we ask ourselves, what do we want to be? What do we want to be? Not what do we want to do? And I know we're human beings, but, you know, we get our, we get our fulfillment from, from the doing, surely. So how do we nail that? How do we nail the thing that we want to do and we want to keep doing and keep showing up to do for the rest of our lives? It's a heavy lift the rest of our lives. <laughs> I think that's probably it for me. Um, I'd be, for myself, I've started to try to counsel myself to be really careful with that the rest of your lives um, and be much push myself to be and hopefully authentically be more interested in not the today and not the what's happening this hour, but certainly much more what's going to happen in the next months or what's going to happen in the next year and not trying to game too much of what's going to come out of each and every step. I'm uh, the God laughs at plans quote pops immediately to mind. And it's what I say to myself and other people and my kids who probably won't listen that much to me, but at least saying, okay, deal with what's at hand right now. And if you, if you deal with it honestly and openly, maybe that will start you down a path that will more likely get you to where you want to end up trying to game that you are going to end up there by doing every single thing. Right. That's, that's a recipe for disaster. Um, and I think there's a lot of what you just were talking about that is in my head of where I was in my career was I spent a lot of time in circles. I think that's the natural human, um, propensity is to go in those circles rather than pick that path ahead. So to be cognizant that we're, if we don't pick that path, we're going to end up going in circles more and more often is really interesting to me. I was reading a newsletter by a wonderful, I'm going to say younger, newer writer um, uh, today, uh, Brandon Taylor, who wrote a book called Filthy Animals and a new novel that he wrote. And he, he put it in his newsletter in a, in a connected way for me that I just found fascinating. He was talking about television now. And he was talking specifically about a show that's huge here. I don't know if it is there called Succession. It's about a family. It's uh, yeah, I've not seen it, but I've, I've heard Kind it. of loosely based on the Murdochs. And it's been on for three seasons. And his newsletter today at the end of the third season was the acting's fantastic. The um, writing is top notch. The set design, the directing, everything is perfect, but it's kind of going in circles with the characters. And I started thinking that that's indicative of binge watching and this idea of our culture just sitting back and letting things happen through that lens of binge watching. There's almost no goal in those series because they're trying to get from season to season to season. And it's very different than, I'm trying to connect this here, uh, a limited series, which is longer than a movie. So it has more depth of character and more decisions and things and twists and turns can happen, but there's a clear ending. And I think that's really interesting to me, the beauty of a limited series and looking at your life that way, that it's not going to be an endless sitcom where the same thing just happens for a half hour every week for 14 seasons or 20 years, and it just keeps going. And I love that idea. I love that idea that there's been shows here in America um, Ted Lasso is a big one now yeah. uh, where they've announced that there's going to be three seasons and it's over. 
uh, Schitt's Creek was big for a while, and I think it was six or seven seasons, and it was over. And I think that closure really matters. Um, this idea that there's a beginning, middle, and an end, so that you've set that kind of a goal, so it doesn't just kind of become something that happens and keeps happening and just is beautifully made, but meh. And so I think metaphorically, again, for me, that connects because trying to put yourself on this path that you can have a goal and finish it up and move on or have a goal and it didn't come to bear and move on is really, really important. Uh, I've, I've built a life that is sort of based around that, I guess, like uh, in the creative world and advertising, it's all based on campaigns. So I've loved working in films, working on projects where the projects have a clear closure. Now with my most recent work with Dirt, it's more open-ended, but I still see targets and goals and ways we're moving forward. And I'm much more open about the fact that the path will not go the direction we plan for it to. And so we better be prepared to open and close doors as, as they present themselves down the hallway. I mean, can we engineer that into our lives? Because, I mean, I, um, I really struggle if I feel like I'm stagnating. If I feel like I'm not moving forward, then I, I, I get down in the dumps and I tend to become quite morose and quite fed up with things. There needs to be some goal. And whether that's, you know, I try and if it's not happening in my professional life, I tend to um, try and find it in other places. So I will, I will have a kind of fitness goal. I'm, I'm running or oh, training for a marathon and I don't care how long it takes. It might take two years to get that level of fitness. Um, and then after that, I know that I'll need another goal to work work towards whether that's a ultra marathon or something like that but it always needs to be something i'm moving towards but can we engineer a kind of um a kind of free-flowing non-goal oriented um kind of forward motion if you like but allow it to kind of just meander in an interesting way i suppose so you do finish a, a project but rather than you know being landing on the moon and then coming back and struggling to readjust with not being able to top that thing. Can we, can we kind of engineer in an exploration that kind of just keeps us going and, and keeps us satisfied with that motion? I love the idea of that. Um, what I'm hearing you say, and, and I'll throw it back to you as a question, is it sounds like as a writer, you're designing chapters that have closure as part of a bigger construct of, of the book or the novel. Um, that's interesting to me. I think it strikes me that when people feel like the goal is the entire book in this instance, then what do you do when you finish that book, right? Yeah. For, for I imagine for the astronaut or for somebody with those high aspirations, if the only next success is another book, even if it's a sequel and you go back to the moon or to another planet, if that's the only thing that's going to make you feel as fulfilled, you're in a really tricky spot because probably as you take off in the rocket, not to beat this to death, but as you take off in the rocket, you better know it's either going to be successful or not. And if the end result of not is that you aren't around anymore, okay. But if you are and you've been successful and then nothing in life's ever going to match that again, you probably should know as you're heading up in the atmosphere that you're in a pretty tricky situation yeah. and you should start planning for being at least um, acknowledging that there's going to be this danger ahead. And, and look, that's what, when Giles invited me on and I ended up talking on the isolated talk a lot about getting fired and openly talking about that. I could couch that um, 
last job that I had before this new company I co-founded as, well, it was a mutual agreement for me to part ways because we've been talking about it for a while and the trajectory of where we were going with the agency wasn't aligned with the capital growth and all. Absolutely. Um, But I want to have agency in that. I want to say they made a decision to move on without me and that's okay. The danger for it for me was that I wasn't ready for that and that I somehow let that still let that hold a part of me where I failed, right? Where that's not allowed to be part of my life. I'd be much better off if I had understood or figured out some coping mechanism of saying, that's just another chapter and I can close that and I've got this open. It took me a while to get to, as as you're talking about, what's that next goal? And I think that's where I was floundering for a long time. And I do that too. I find um, I go in, in, um, kind of chunks in life where I'll do one thing for a while pretty actively and then stop and do another. And, you know, going back to my career, I do think my brain is wired that way a little bit of having closure and needing things. So I think I'm prepared for a more chaptered look at life. Um, But I don't have goals anymore that something massive has to happen at the end. Um, I think I'm much, I think I've gotten much better over time at not celebrating the tiny moments as they go. It's not that kind of self-involved. It's just understanding that that's, that's okay. Um, and to not put as much pressure on myself that there's, um, if we haven't hit the big goal yet, again, if we haven't hit the big goal yet, that that's a failure or not acknowledging that when we do hit that big goal, okay, what's next anyway, right? That's just going to be another stone to step on as you keep trying to make your way across the river. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of things that are resonating with me in what you just said, but in ways I'd not considered before, because I, I have a background in magazines. And, you know, you produce your first, you, you know, you get a job on a magazine, I've edited magazines in America, in the, in the UK, and you, you do your first magazine, and it has challenges and but you get it out on time, it looks great. You do your next one, it's even better. And then, but each one finishes and then you're on to the next one and it, and it comes to a point where it's like well i know i can do this now mm. and i know i can do it well and it's actually relatively easy so where's the where's the kind of challenge in that where where am i where's my growth and it's the it's that same kind of thing it's like and i, and I had this with the podcast at the beginning of the summer i i was very tired i i you know i juggle a lot of, of different uh, balls most of the time and i got to a point where I felt like I'd, I've answered a lot of questions. I've spoken to some very interesting people. I kind of know how life, I guess, is supposed to work now. You know, there's, I've spoken to Buddhists. I've spoken to meditators. I've spoken to entrepreneurs. You know, I've got a lot of wisdom has come. And, I, you know, I, I enjoy it. And I could, I could keep doing it and keep doing it and have these conversations. But where's it going? Where's it going with this? And I'd lost touch of the fact that just the doing for me with these conversations is is what i need it's it's i I suppose it becomes mundane after a while when you do it it day in day out and even i used to live in new york city and you know every day i'd walk past the chrysler building and i'd walk past the empire state building to my office and i'd still be there like oh i don't want to go to work you know but i'm looking up at and there's the empire state building and there's the the chrysler building and it's like (laughs) This is amazing. This but, is, you know, yeah. I don't want to go to work. You know, I don't. Oh, yeah. I've got to do another podcast. And it's, it's actually, you know, you you lose sight of the things that invigorate you in life, and this constant need for diversity or moving forward, 
it becomes a little bit of an addiction. Do you, do you think we get addicted to, you know, stepping outside of our comfort zone to a, to a point where we maybe even self-sabotage a little bit and take unnecessary risks? You know, like the, like the test pilot who, who tries to do one trick too many and then crashes and burns, you know? I think there's certainly um, uh, types of people who do that and probably uh, pursuits that lend themselves to that. You know, we were talking about astronauts, but I have a friend who's a climber, high, high peaks climber, and his yeah. father summited Everest, and he summited Everest. And, you know, when we get together occasionally, the thing I always come back to is kind of what drives climbers like that. And are they aware that that goal is headed to most likely a very <laughs> a shorter life, a challenging place, right? And they're still driven. So it fascinates, right? I've been fascinated by I'm I don't feel I'm that way. Like I don't feel like I, if anything, I feel like I could have pushed myself to take more risks. And I feel like I'm pushing myself even now later in life to do that more. But what he would say to me is of friends who have died or friends, there aren't a lot of very old world-renowned climbers certainly nowadays as it's about speed and and upping the the difficulty of the challenges right and that's just that's part of it right you've got to understand that if you're taking on those risks it is going to explode implode destroy itself at some point um, obviously something like high altitude mountaineering is a very different specific set of risk but i think it, it is the same thing about risky behavior and pushing yourself to the limits and always challenging yourself I suppose it's okay as long as you understand where it's ultimately headed and you're prepared that the, any negative uh, fallout of it is going to be cataclysmic potentially. So I think the more risk we take on, the more potential that those failures are going to really, really impact us. Um, I, I do feel like I had coasted and circled more in my life where I had let myself feel comfortable that I had a good family, great family, and a good life, and a good career, and it was all about me, and it probably wasn't all about me. It was about a lot of different things, but I'd lulled myself into complacency that it was, and that I had tackled this. Well, the danger with that is it's going to go away sometime, and the longer you put that off and don't have to deal with any of that negativity or any of the failures, the more challenging it'll be when you ultimately do have to deal with it. So I, I admire adding risk into your life. I, I challenge myself with the idea of risk. I've had to wonderfully been put in front of people and ask them to take risk and ask them to fail. And I think I've come to a place with right or wrong. I feel we're not really asking people to fail. We're asking them to better understand where they can push the risk of where they're going next so that they grow. Meaning Try this thing that you've probably gotten some feedback that you're decent at. Now push it, make it harder, go further. Now we're going to give you feedback that you're still on the right path. And if you continue to follow that, it's much more um, an entrepreneurial software beta version kind of journey where you're going to launch something in beta and you're going to try and improve on it and you're going to improve and you're going to push it and it'll grow that way. Then this idea that don't be afraid of failure. I think there's so many checks in our lives where we can prepare ourselves for failure. If we want to be Ed Sheeran, 
and I want to be one of the greatest pop stars of all time. And I want to put myself on that trajectory. I would have gotten feedback very early on that I can't sing. So if I had stayed on that path, I would not be the person you're talking about having picked that and been successful at it. So I think we do get feedback and maybe I beat myself up with the sometimes at night saying, oh, I, I wish I could have been a great writer or I could have been a great filmmaker. A, it's preposterous because I never tried it hard enough to see whether or not we were any good at it. But also that's not where I got my feedback. I got my feedback from other things that were telling me I was decent at it. And so listen to those things and start to be okay with, those are really good indicators of where your skill sets are. And then, as you say, push yourself. If putting out the magazine every week or every month or every quarter isn't challenging anymore, what is? Is it doing your own magazine? Is it making the magazine an experiential event for people? What what are the next steps that stay in the realm of what you're talented and um, capable of doing? And then how do you push the risk there? While knowing, you know, again, if you're the mountaineer sprinting up a mountain that nobody's climbed, you know, sprinting up a mountain in a day that nobody's climbed in less than a week before, it's probably pretty dangerous, right? So so I think that's a really interesting way, for me at least, of taking risk and in, in sort of assessing gambles in life. I suppose that is a, a kind of constructive approach to to taking risk. I mean, there is that kind of step outside your comfort zone, see what see what works, what doesn't work. You know, obviously, don't um, take unnecessary risks. When you when you lost your job, when you were made redundant, or the, the company moved on uh, without you, you said that there were talks going on beforehand. And that, you know, this had been discussed for a while, but you still felt kind of like an injustice had happened when when that push finally came to shove. Do you do you think that you you allowed that risk to happen because you were trying to force, you know, subconsciously force a change that you would not maybe brave enough to take yourself? It's possible. It's possible. I don't think um I intentionally blew it up, but I do I do know I wasn't giving all that I was capable of. And it goes back to looking up at the Chrysler building and realizing where you were. I look back now and I think, holy crap, I was at the top of the creative pyramid at this place. I could have gone in every morning and tried to make it what I wanted it to be. And I wasn't as interested in doing that as I was with not doing it and seeing what would happen. So I don't know how intentful it was, but I certainly wasn't doing anything to change the, uh, it's going to sound more negative, but the predicament of where I was. In other words, if I was happy, unhappy with it, I wasn't doing anything to make it better or unhappy. And therefore I wasn't serving them as well either. So would I do it very differently now? I think so. But that's Monday morning quarterbacking and looking back at it. I, I What you just mentioned, um, this idea of taking leaps reminded me of a, of a quote that I read again recently that I love that came from a New Yorker article, uh, just a, a story I read once by Ariel Dorf. It's just buried in the story. Um, and the line is, think, think before you leap and then leap, follow your heart. I, I like the combination of those things, right? It's, I love this idea of leap and the net will appear. Sure. But I like this idea, particularly as a strategically driven creative person, think. Think about it before you leap. And then by all means, leap. I would index more on what you said, though. If I had to counsel people, and it's easy from my vantage point now being older, take the risk. Do the thing you think is the only thing interesting in life to other people is people who are taking risks and doing things different. 
doing things the same old way, no matter who's telling you what to do, ultimately probably is not going to be as helpful to you, but certainly isn't going to help you stand out. I've learned that even for things like talking in person, right? I don't tend to get on stage anymore. I still get anxiety and you know nervousness and probably stammer through the first few minutes, but I approach things much more like talking with you today as this wonderful opportunity to just have a conversation. And nobody in the audience, they may tune out, they may not like it, but that matters less to me now. Trying to have an authentic conversation, trying to get something out of it for ourselves and be able to give back to the audience through that process is really interesting to me. Not looking at it as if somebody's out to get me, not looking at it as if, am I going to fail? Much more saying, well, it's more interesting to fail by trying something than it is to just try to float along and end up getting where. I had a conversation with Martha Beck. I don't know if you know, you're familiar with Martha Beck, but she is supposed to be one of America's um, uh, best known life coaches. Although I, I think life coach is not quite the right uh, phrase for this. She's, um, she's a professor. She's very academic. But she was talking about a study that um, some scientists did, and they, they examined people's approach to life. And there are some and the outcome of this study was that there are some people who see life and they see it as something that happens to them. So it's it's basically, you know, at best inert. And it is yeah. it's something where you just kind of muddle along and you try to do your best and um uh, and then you kind of just see what happens and you know, you you go to school, you you follow the the well-worn path that was um worn by our fathers and their fathers and and you know, you buy buy a kind of small house, you know, the best you can afford, and you have quite a mundane life. And but you don't take any risks. But then there was another group of people who, and the the acronym they used was C, so S E A, and they this group of people saw life as safe, enticing, and alive. So almost like a playground where you could go in and you could you could try things and you could experiment and you could have fun. And that's what life was ultimately all about. That's what they, um, they what's that's how these kind of this group of people approached it. And you know, you you see it in entrepreneurs, people who've done famously well. You know, they're trying things, they're having a great time. Richard Branson, you know, whatever you think of him, you can't say he's not having a great time, um, making a lot of money, flying airlines, you know, joyriding rockets into space, whatever it is. Ed Sheeran's probably having a fantastic time being on top of his game and to, you know, embracing opportunities as they come along. But these opportunities are probably coming along in no small part because he has this kind of open-minded approach to life that it's safe and it's enticing and it's a, it's a playground to be, to be played in. Sadie Smith, the, the writer, she mm. said something about, isn't it terrible how mediocre our dreams have become? Mm-hmm. And do you think that's an do you think that's an age thing? Do you think we've just become so jaded in life that we stop looking to play? I think for sure, right? I mean, that's the the idea or cliche or truism that the older and older you get in the studies they've done, that it's the play starts to be drilled out of you. The creativity you have as children, it's it starts to go away as you get older and older and you put yourself on the path that's very binary, right? If I'm going to be a serious person that I don't play and start not realizing that they can be more intermingled and, and that you don't have to have these rules that are so restrictive in your life. I mean, I, I, for me, a lot of it is curiosity. I read a, some stat, I'm going to butcher it, but it was some 
I think the number was what age does the average person stop listening to any new music? So at what age in your life do you, even with Spotify, stop listening to any new music? And the age was something like 27 years old. And I was just flabbergasted by that. And just that, wait, what? And I'm not saying it's wonderful, but I have a playlist that I trade with my kids of the newest music. So I think for me, it doesn't speak to, oh, that's cool. It speaks to curiosity and wanting to learn new things and read new things and discover new things. And that's a tiny subset of, and, and hopefully filters its way into having bigger goals. And I think sometimes those audacious goals of I'm going to be the biggest pop star in the world for Ed Sheeran are necessary to get you to believe in yourself. My wife, years and years and years and years ago, wonderfully put it that it, it wasn't, again, this binary decision that your best friend who was in the fiction writing program you were in at one of 100 programs in the States could win a major award, could be massively successful. She could get all the accolades. That doesn't mean you also won't get it. So believing in yourself, I think, is really, really, really important, um, almost to the point of overarching confidence. Like I would try to distill that in people saying, go for it. You deserve this as much as anybody else. But understanding that to get there, you're going to have to work really, really hard. That quote that I'd said about think, think before you leap, and then leap and follow your heart, right above it on my phone as I was looking that up is a note that I think I'd written to myself because it's not a tribute to anyone. And it's just a question. And it says, what are you in relation to what you think you could be? And it was just sitting right above there the same day. And I'm sure I read something else, but it strikes me about what you were just talking about. It's that question of, are you the person that your younger self would have wanted to be? Um, that's... I think really important to continue to ask ourselves, you know, yeah. are you that person? What are you in relation to what you think you could be still every day, even now, you know, and then how do you start to put yourself on a path that will get you there? Maybe it won't be the same thing as you wanted to do before. It's if you wanted to be a professional athlete at the age of 16 and you didn't make it trying to become a professional athlete that same way at 45 or 53 is not very likely but there can be a different version of it, even of that specific dream, or the dream can morph and be about something else. Do you become a coach who helps others get there? That's really fascinating to me now. And maybe the thing I love most is this idea of three acts of life. The first act of your life, the first third is a basically selfish, if you're lucky, right? This is about privilege and luck and being supported and nurtured and loved. But if you're lucky, you have a family, that family is there to support you through those first 20 years, 20 plus years. Then the next stage, again, if you're lucky on your own or with somebody else, with a family that you form, it's about you. It's still selfish. You're still forming your own path through the world. So those first two thirds are inherently selfish. And then having just been through this, your kids go to college and they're not around and you don't matter anymore. <laughs> You've just gotten older. And that last third, when you really have to face that you've moved into this section of your life that you can give back in a different way, what I've learned is what people say and the studies say is this last third of gratitude and giving back actually gives you the same kind of selfishness. It gives you back more. The more you give at this point, the more you get back. So I think it's changing your view and again, changing your path and allowing that to morph over time. For me, that's moved from being 
a filmmaker myself and a director into developing and putting together projects. So a television show, different things with different people, some of the um, experiential projects that I've done with this wonderful um, artist uh, and, and teacher, Lance Weiler, who runs at Columbia University, the Digital Storytelling Lab. We do these experiential events at kind of big film festivals, and we've done four or five of those over the years. And that feeds back to me. I don't need to be the person who is the director, or even the producer in charge anymore. To me, at my age now, it's much more interesting being a person who helps put the pieces together and watches other phenomenally talented, much more diverse and interesting voices come together now and do something that it makes me jealous, but I know I could never have done on my own. That's pretty cool. And then if you can open yourself up to being, that's okay. I don't need the credit for this. Also, I couldn't get the credit because I could never do what they're doing together as a team. That's That, that gives me a lot. I do um, an exercise maybe three or four times a year where I sit down and I kind of think, who... You know, if I, going back to your kind of, you know, who who is the kind of, what is the potential for me to become? Who, who if, if everything went right, what would I look like? Who would I be? And I try to visualize that person, you know, I, I visualize how they are going through their day, what their kind of breakfast routine looks like. And I kind of then look at kind of, okay, where am I now? And where is that person? And how can I get myself now a little bit closer to, to that picture? And, you know, is there, are there steps I need to make in my, my confidence? Do I need to kind of change my skill set? Is it just a matter of, you know, he drinks orange juice in the morning and I like orange juice because it reminds me of my holiday. So I'm going to start drinking orange juice for breakfast. You know, is that, you know, is it, I mean, maybe sometimes as simple as that, just change your routine, become Mm. Leonard Cohen said, um, uh, what did he say? He said, uh, uh, act the way you want to be, and soon you'll be the way you act. You know. Yeah, I love that. I am a massive fan and proponent, mainly for myself. Not going to yeah. push this on other people, but changing your routine. It's coming up January first. Like doing the Austin Cleon, um, a great writer, several books out. Show we show your work about the creative process. Um, he has, I think it'll, I think it, you can do it anytime, but a thirty day kind of way to shake up your routine and it's perfect at the beginning of the year and it's some simple stuff and I'm 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 fascinated by it one of the things that resonates for me um I'm not sure who was writing about it um I think it might have been David Epstein who wrote a book called Range about diverse chasing um diverse career but it resonates because it was similar to what you just said it was you don't have to do it perfectly. You just have to change your routine and start doing it. And one of the examples they used was about a person who had started to go to the gym every day. But what this person did was they went to the gym, they did one minute, five minutes of working out, and then they went home. Because what they wanted to do was form the routine of going to the gym. The expanding that into a half hour, 45 minute workout, whatever you wanted to do, it was the going to the gym every day that mattered. And the interesting thing was, Once you start that routine, you very quickly, if you go to the gym every day or every two days for the first month of the new year, you put yourself in the 5% or probably less of people who do that. So you've already become the athlete. You may not be the athlete who's trained perfectly or is in the best shape, but you've become the athlete. So if you write in a journal every day, five sentences, you've become more of a writer 
than most people who are proclaiming that they are writers. So I think that that's the trick of these new habits that you can form as well, is that they very quickly become replicable in a way that gives you positive feedback and allows you to make them become, as you said, a bigger part of your life and lead to success. But I think the thing is, for me at least, not making the success about it has to be all or nothing from the very first time I do it. That's a big challenge. I think that's the thing that um, has had a big impact on me in lockdown. I've I've always been a a runner, Mm -hmm. but I've never done it well. And I, I will do it in fits and starts. So I will I will go running. I'll do a couple of 10K runs, you know, a couple of races, get a few medals. And then I'll stop running because life gets in the way and I won't, I won't run again for five years. And then five years later, I'll, have, I'll look in the mirror and I'm, I'm a bit heavy. So I'll go out and start doing it again. And then, I, but then I'll, I'll stop again. And then in lockdown, I, I started just um, going up and doing a couple of laps of the park every morning. And it was just doing that just every day, but doing it every day. And then before you know it, I'm I'm doing half marathons and, you know, things are, I've, and I've lost weight and things have compounded, you know, and it's, it's like you were saying, you know, you don't have to write the novel. You just have to write the first line. And then the next day you write the second line, you know, before you know. And what's it, enough? And what's yeah. enough? What's your goal? Is your goal exactly. again to write or be a writer? And even then, are you allowing yourself the success of calling yourself a writer, even if you don't get published? You know, does it? Can it be something? Is it something that means enough to you where maybe that's not the goal? Maybe it helps you figure out other things. And again, going back to something you were talking about earlier about having agency and putting yourself in the path and calling yourself what you want to be and allowing that to be what you want. That's, I think, what I'm doing a lot of times when I take down these notes that don't mean in the moment what they then grow to mean to me. I took a course. Um, with a woman named Taffy Brodesser Ackner, who is uh, one of the world's great profile writers for GQ magazine and now the New York Times magazine. She also has written a book that I think just won the National Book Award. Um, and she she said something in the class I was taking, which was just this class that I begged my way into. I'm not a nonfiction writer and I wasn't intending to write profiles, but I wanted to see how she thought and how they kind of did that work for not for nonfiction documentary style interviews I do and things like that. And she asked this question in class once she said, she was just asking us because she puts herself in the profile. Sometimes she says, when do you know or decide to place yourself in the story? And I had that written down. I come back to that now. It's not literally when do you as a writer decide to put yourself in the story? Now it's what you were asking earlier. Ask yourself that. When do you decide to put yourself in the story of your own life? When do you allow yourself the freedom, the confidence to realize you're looking at the world as the protagonist in your own journey? That's how all of us are seeing it. But to your earlier point, so many of us are not then living the arc of the story. We're not living the plot of our lives. We're the protagonist, but we haven't even allowed ourselves to be in the story of our own lives yet we are allowing somebody else to write that story and i think that's got to be the worst thing at the end when you look back and you realize that time was short for everybody and you never you were the protagonist but you never let yourself be it you just never figured out what that meant um so that doesn't mean you're going to for me at least it doesn't mean i've done that in any big way that's been incredibly helpful but i'm thinking about it more 
I'm, tr- I'm trying to figure out what what the story is and what my role is in it and and how I want that to shape out. Well, I think that's a that's a brilliant point to end on. I mean, um, and certainly, I, I think life is hard. Life can be very very hard, and when things don't go our way, we become disempowered and we lose confidence. But I think we get that confidence back when we start to make decisions and take action and, and you know, to step outside our comfort zone. Because when, we, when we're so disempowered, our comfort zone gets very, very small. And we, you know, we get very comfortable in our suffering almost. And so we need to step out and, and change, even change the routines, change who we are, change you know, what we do. Um, one of the big things for me was I was a freelance photographer. But one of the most liberating things came when I decided to let that dream go. And suddenly what had become a millstone around my neck, um, you know, making a fantastic living from photography, which ne- never happened. Suddenly I was free, you know, I was free to actually, my world got much bigger when I was no longer just so focused on this. And it's like, but, but I'm a photographer, I'm a photographer, mm-hmm. but it's not working. It's not working. That's and the it, dream. That's the dream. That's yeah. That's the dream. dream. But the dream actually was starting to um, suffocate me in a way. And, mm. and, um, you know, life was, life was not, working for me but as soon as i let that go and i got my power back um that's great then it became powerful and i think that's we need to somehow take ownership of the things that aren't working for us no matter how romantic they are no matter how much they mean to us and just sort of say okay time time to go now time to move on and i I love the way you put that too that the removing the millstone and being honest with ourselves too to suggest I'm allowing that dream to be the albatross around my neck yeah. <laughs> stay the dream because I'm really scared about what else I'm going to do. So it's allowing me to not do anything. And there's comfort in that because I'm not responsible. I still want to be this thing. Maybe it'll happen. Mm. That just allows us to delay and delay and delay. And and just life's not fair. It's like, you know, I'm really good at this, but life's not fair. So you know, poor me. Really, it's uh, yeah. I, I don't want to derail too much late in the game, but the life's not fair. I don't have a lot of time for for myself either. Mm. Um, it's it's referees, it's sporting matches. Look, if you do well enough, they don't matter, right? So, yeah. uh, the life's not fair. I think life cannot be fair for so many people in mm. so many ways. If I'm talking about my career and where I was and what I had agency in myself, I am not going to allow myself to equate my life's not fair with the way that life isn't fair for most people. So I think there's that part of it too, is to be really honest with myself of life not being fair because I haven't made it artistically in some field that I aspired to chase and may or may not have ever been talented in is very different than life not being fair. And life's been incredibly fair to me. And I I love the way you said that because it makes me leave this conversation and say, no shit life's been really really fair to me what else can i squeeze out of it okay yeah. <laughs> now what do i get to so, selfishly i'll take something out of that yeah and, and i think you you touched on it before as well about um you know you get to deliver value for other people now people who are talented people you get to work with these amazing uh, talented individuals and help them realize their dreams of, of producing great work that you could never produce yeah, but, there's something yeah. so beautiful in understanding that. I had a writer say this to me as we were adapting a project of his. He was quiet after I told him some changes that this wonderful um, showrunner and, and, and writer was, was making. And I told it to him and he was very quiet. This is the original writer of the source material. And I, and I said, are you okay? And he said, 
yeah, to be honest, I'm just jealous. I never would have thought of that. And it's way better than what I did. And I think there's, there's something so beautiful about acknowledging that and being honestly and authentically happy for that next transition and the person who did that. Right. I think there's that kind of gratitude too, of seeing success in others and understanding that their success probably only means that there's space for a lot of other people to play. And then what can your role be? And that is, is a lot of fun. Yeah, that's a great point to end on. So in terms of your writing, maybe your your business dirt, uh, where can people find out more about you, your company, if they want to kind of get more insight into your thinking processes, anything at all, where can they find you? Finding me is pretty easy. I'm on Twitter at Nick Childs. Um, I'm on LinkedIn because I suppose we all have to be somehow and that overlaps to the wheat, to the dirt. Um, end of things. If you want to find out more about dirt, uh, that's at wearedirt.com. And, um, yeah, that's a, that's a really interesting field that we'll talk about on the next time we chat. Yeah, absolutely. Brilliant. Well, thank you so much for that. I will leave you to the rest of your day. Um, but that's been a, an amazing conversation. So I really appreciate that. Chris, thank you so much. So there we go. That was me chatting with Nick Childs. So uh, thank you for making it through to the end and for listening to this podcast, whether this is your first episode or whether you tune in every week to every episode. I'm really grateful. This is the final episode of 2021, which for many of us has been quite a brutal and tiring year. Uh, And I must admit, I'm quite happy to see the back of it. But it also is a time for looking to the new year ahead. During this podcast, I've had some something of a gentle epiphany, talking to Nick there, um, and when I combine it with some of the other wisdom that I've heard from other guests that we've had on the show, I've come to develop something of a, a formulation about how a happy and fulfilling life works. It's the kind of thing that I actually set out to, to seek when I started this uh, this podcast. You know, they talk about when you're when you're starting something, scratch your own itch. And for me, it was about seeking out the secret source to life that everyone else seemed to know, uh, but I didn't. And I'm sure there are many, many people out there who feel the same. It turns out everyone feels that way. And I was reaching out to people who seemed to, if they didn't exactly know uh, what life, you know, was how it's supposed to be played, they were at least doing something and making their own, uh, creating their own reality, carving their own niche. And it's been uh, 70 odd episodes now. And some of the ideas are starting to coalesce into something, something tangible. It's an idea, a process, if you like, something meaningful that can take all of these words, these thoughts, these conversations, turning them into something that I and hopefully you can use and it's something that I'm going to be exploring as we go through into 2022 and it all kind of coalesces around these three pillars you know in the in the intros to the podcast I always say this is a podcast about being well doing well and living well and it's those three things being doing and living being is where we are right now how we feel our life circumstances in this moment this is where we are who we are in this moment doing is all the actions that get us here and can also be used to change our life to make things better or make things worse the way we go into the world the actions that we take the things we eat the conversations we have can all have a big impact on our state of being our being and also our state of being can inform the actions we take so we get a kind of circular thing going on and out of that comes our our um, quality of life our living so we have these three pillars being, doing, and living. 
And this whole concept, I feel like it's been absent from my toolkit. It seems so obvious to me now, but it's been absent from my toolkit for, for going into life. And here I am, nearly 46, and I'm only just starting to put this together now. So I'm going to develop this over the next few months and I'm going to turn it into something tangible that we can use because uh, I really think I'm onto something with this. And if you want to come on this journey with me, then please do subscribe to the podcast, sign up to my newsletter because I'm going to be exploring these ideas because everything pretty much fits into one of those three categories. So go to conversationsonliving.com subscribe to the podcast wherever you get it, sign up to my newsletter and consider this a bit of a teaser because next year I plan to turn this into something really interesting and really useful for everyone who is just trying to get ahead in life every day, to be the best they can be, to live the best life that is there for them, if only they can get their ducks in a row, if you like. So that's it for another year of Conversations on Living, formerly known as Shot by Brock or the Chris Brock podcast or Being Better. Who knows what it's going to be down the line? It might transform into another magnificent butterfly. Um, But right now it's Conversations on Living and I'm having some amazing conversations. So I'm very grateful to all of you who have listened, all of you who have chatted with me and all of you who have spent the time to sit down and listen to the words of some of these wise and inspiring people I've had on the show. Who knows what the next trip around the sun, the next year is going to hold for us, but we are about to find out. But in the meantime, rest, replenish yourself, take a moment to eat nice food, get some exercise, take some big deep breaths and just, you know, look after yourself because in the next year we need to be on our best game. We need to bring our best so we can live our best. All right. And uh, of course, until then, have a lovely day. 